This is a podcast from the Business Times. I'm a rather sweaty Howie Lim. This is Lens on Singapore. It's early August. Weather app says it's 32 degrees Celsius today in Singapore and also says it feels like 37 degrees. Can't say it's wrong. I'm in the studio and it feels like, ugh, untenable. Now I'm at a bus stop in Ang Mo Kyo, which is supposed to be green-roofed and cooler by 2 degrees Celsius, according to the Land Transport Authority anyway. The app still says it's 32 degrees now. Feels... worse. I'm not surprised. A professor from SMU said plant cover can reduce surface temperatures, but has little effect on ambient temperature. Great. Okay. Maybe this will be better. I'm at Star Vista, Singapore's first naturally cooled open-air mall. Why is it so hot in Singapore? Whose fault is it? And can you and I do anything about it? Cooling Singapore is heating up, I tell ya. The preloaded weather app on my smartphone still says the temperature is 32 degrees Celsius today, but feels like 37 degrees. And I really do feel it, even here at Star Vista, to be honest despite it being a naturally cooled open-air mall. Thing is, if it's hot out, it'll be hot in, even in a naturally cooled mall, even with its huge fans. Personally, this din you're hearing stresses me out, and it's everywhere in this mall. It was our founding Prime Minister, Lee Kuan Yew, who famously said air conditioning was a most important invention for us, perhaps one of the signal inventions of history. And it's the go-to when we're feeling the heat here in Singapore. We either hide at home, at the office, or in a mall. But it's not the panacea it seems to be, and it comes at a cost. Conventional air conditioning systems are exacerbating the warming of Singapore because it spits the hot air into the environment. The rest of the world hasn't been spared, even places not on the equator like we are. Greece is experiencing a record-breaking heat wave. The temperature goes as high as 40 degrees Celsius, same as some places in Italy, Portugal and Turkey. Gosh, over 40 degrees Celsius? What must that feel like? Hotter than the surface of the sun, apparently. Can't air conditioning be more energy efficient, sustainable and less harmful to the environment? As an introvert who has air conditioning at home, I have few complaints. Only when I'm sent on these kinds of assignments. Ah. And malls like Star Vista are doing their part. It has a permeable building shell that encourages airflow, so it doesn't have to rely on air conditioning to cool its interiors. But I have to say, it looks like everyone doesn't feel particularly cool or cooled. They're all dressed in the latest dry fit, sweat wicking, athleisure wear, and it's only mid-morning. So you and I can't build the mall or afford some fancy-schmancy architect to design us a passively cooled home with futuristic-looking wind-catching features. So what to do then? Back to the sauna of a studio to do some real work. That's what. Funny thing is, people are sweating up a storm outdoors, but freezing in the office. Okay, I exaggerate. But researchers from Tokyo Metropolitan University, for example, discovered that it's about 23 to 24 degrees Celsius in Singapore's offices, and people generally feel most comfy when it's 24.8 degrees. Hmm. So throwing air conditioning at the problem is not the best solution. Maybe something more targeted or a cooling system that gives you what you want 
where you want it and when you want it. James Trevelyan is an emeritus professor in the engineering school at the University of Western Australia and also the inventor of CoolZ, which claims to be energy efficient, localized air conditioning technology, focused cooling, concentrating all the cooling power where it's needed, not sharing most of the cooling with the ceiling, walls, floor and furniture, like typical room air conditioners. James, thanks for your time. It's wonderful to be with you, Howie. James, why do you think your tech as a sustainable solution to cooling for households isn't taking off? I only chanced upon it while doing research for this podcast, really. Sorry, my makeshift fan hit my mic. It's just so hot. You're in Pakistan. It's sweltering there too, isn't it? It sure is. Well, Howie, that's a really interesting remark because in the last few weeks it has taken off, particularly in Singapore. What you've seen over the last two or three years is an extended La Nina period, which of course also affected us on the east coast of Australia. We had incredible rainfall, floods, interminable rain. And I've lived in Sydney under those conditions. It's amazing. You just don't see the humidity disappear. And then all of a sudden, the Pacific Ocean changes gear and you get hot and dry conditions. Now, in Singapore, being in the air conditioning business, we're particularly climate sensitive. So for the last three years, we've seen a real slowdown in sales compared, for example, with the COVID period when lots of people suddenly realized it's very expensive to have your air conditioning when you're working from home. And we enjoyed a small sales boom there. Now we're in 32 countries, which is why we see these fluctuations in individual countries. But overall, the demand is steadily increasing. People are now seeing big increases in electricity bills in many countries. In Singapore terms, Italians are paying nearly 60 cents a unit for electricity. People in Pakistan are seeing 100% increase in electricity. Even in Australia, people have just seen a 20 or 25% rise in their electricity costs. And all of this is connected with the need to re-engineer our energy systems throughout the world for a renewable future. It's expensive, but people want that. That is a tall order, re-engineering our energy systems throughout the world for a renewable future. But really no time like the present. In May this year, our temperatures rose to 37 degrees Celsius in Angmo Kyo, which is a stone's throw from the BT podcast studio in Topayo. And that temperature is a 40-year high. I can't remember what I was doing that day, probably lying on the tiled floor of my HDB flat right under the ceiling fan trying not to move. And then in July, Singapore launched a national heat stress advisory. You can check those heat stress levels on the MyENV app or weather.gov.sg. Singapore is taking green cooling seriously, especially since we also suffer from the urban heat island effect, as well as global climate change in general. Plus, there's the humidity, which along with the high heat result in extreme wet bulb temperature. If you're exposed long enough to such conditions, you can't cool down properly because you can't perspire effectively and that's dangerous, even for the healthy. Li Po Seng is the executive director of the Energy Studies Institute, and the professor is positive about James's invention as a step towards more sustainable cooling practices. While the air conditioning units are sustainably more energy efficient compared to older models, with many now including features such as variable speed drives, this advancement can drastically reduce the energy demand associated with cooling. However, even with the most efficient air conditioning units, still requires significant amount of electricity. 
Hence, while they are part of the solution, they are not the entire solution. Combining them with other passive cooling strategies and efficient energy use can enhance their sustainability. So I think solution like Huzi, it doesn't actually require the installations of elaborate like refrigerants, piping systems, as well as having a outdoor unit. But in terms of the effectiveness, it's going to be less compared to the conventional split units because while you're producing localized cooling, you're essentially rejecting the heat into the room. So over time, the heat within the room can actually accumulate and actually results in the thermal discomfort. So unless you have a very effective ventilation system that continuously withdraw the heat from the room, otherwise, yeah, over time, you will experience an increase in the room temperature. That's the main pros and cons associated with localized cooling solution like that of Kuzi. Singapore apparently has more air conditioner installations per capita than any of our Southeast Asian neighbours. About 99% of condominiums have air conditioning installed, so maybe localized air condition technology could be considered. But what about commercial buildings? Naturally cooled ones like Star Vista just don't feel cool enough. But maybe that's just me. I'm in a different mall now. It feels really comfortable. Susan Leng is the CEO of Paragon REIT Management Private Limited. Their malls are adopting green cooling solutions and have been for some time. I think the main consumption in most buildings would be electricity, commercial as a retailer and even office building. There are certain guidelines where the true water supply, the building will supply true water, then it goes to AHU, air handling unit or fan coil unit, which then convert to air condition temperature. There's a guideline for the air condition. That is what we comply with. In terms of true water, typically it's a certain range. True water actually is the main consumption in terms of electricity. And all this translates to carbon footprint. So as a REIT manager, we are very mindful on doing our part. But there is always a balance between costs. How much do you spend? How often do you spend to continue chasing technology? Paragon was bought in 1998 by then SPH. We replaced the chiller in 2015. We changed the AHU and that immediately brought about efficiency in the consumption, a saving about 20%. Capital sum is not small, but we're prepared to invest in it because it's end of useful life. So I think it's a win-win. Then a few years later, we changed the air handling unit and the AHU also added certain savings in electricity, 30%. So these are quite meaningful savings which lead to less carbon footprint. So I think our effort will not go unnoticed, at least ourselves. I personally look at it that it doesn't matter how small a part you do, do your part. Collectively, with the many buildings in Singapore, we will do our small part. We can't save the world, but I think we can do our small part to try to minimise the impact on global warming. Janice Wu is the Head of Corporate Development at Cuscadon Peak Investment. They're doing their part not just for malls, but also residences. From our business perspective, we do take into consideration in how we develop and construct our buildings. So, for example, we have just completed our integrated development at Woodley, the Woodley Residences, as well as the Woodley Mall. In designing and constructing this development, we had taken cooling into consideration. The facing of the buildings, the kind of materials that we use and the greenery that we have planted all adds to making the development cooler. You will see that there is a lot of greenery that will help to absorb heat 
and reduce the need for even more air conditioning. Because Cascaden has got many portfolio companies in our stable and we have bought seats on some of them. So for example, I sit on the board of two listed companies and in that position, I am able to shape the corporate behaviour of our investing companies. I can guide discussions on sustainability and ESG to make management have more awareness and you know to put measures into place to take sustainability into consideration even as we run our business. So many people think that sustainability means that you have to spend more money. But that's not the case. In many cases, actually, it can lead to cost savings. LED lights may cost you some money up front. But in the long run, because your electricity consumption is lower, you actually will end up saving money. So I think we need to dispel the notion that sustainability always leads to higher costs. There is a lot of opportunities for corporates to quickly get their act together. There are commercial benefits that we can enjoy on top of being friendly to our environment. So it is not a situation where it's all negative. There are many opportunities that people need to see. All that sounds great, but not all of us can afford to get an architect to say, build us a passively cooled home with that resort feel and lush foliage. Nor can some of us even afford private housing built with materials with high thermal masses that come with passive cooling features. And I'm a bit tired of sitting here with people looking at me, wondering why I'm talking to myself. What can regular people like you and I do then? Still to come, it's freezing here, very nice, but so loud. More about how cooling is heating up here in Singapore in a moment while I go get some earplugs. Sands, we entered through an entrance hidden in the Rasapura food court. And much as I'm awed by their facilities, because it's chilling up to 15,000 litres of water to near freezing point, and then pumping it through five kilometres of pipes, it's the world's largest underground district cooling network. It doesn't have to be so loud. The workers have to wear earplugs and helmets. At least I'm not sweating anymore. Okay, maybe we should find a quieter place to talk to Swa Cheng Yi, Principal Engineer, Sustainable Energy Solutions at SP Group, about what's going on here. For the Marina Bay network, we are talking about anywhere close to 25,000 tons of carbon emission that we are taking off by using the district cooling network. So if we put it in somewhere that is more relatable, that's about 22,000 of cars off the road in one year annually. That sounds promising, Chingyi, but why isn't a solution like district cooling more widely adopted then? I think comparing it to the region, Southeast Asia, Singapore's probably have one of the highest number of district cooling operators in the region. It's actually quite suitable for district cooling because of the close proximity of the buildings. It's not very feasible if the buildings are very far apart due to the construction process and also the initial investment that we have to put in. So for, for Singapore setup and the infrastructure, it's very suitable to implement the district cooling network. Singapore's also looking to roll out district cooling in HDB towns like the Tengah Township and you guys are involved, right? How does that work and how is it different from the commercial setup you brought us through earlier? So the general concept is actually the same, very similar. It's still about gathering the loads and operating the equipments at the optimum point 
and distributing the cooling capacity to all the users. So it's the same. But the difference with a commercial setup is that the demand load pattern and also the quantity, the amount of users that we have. So for commercial buildings, we are probably looking at a district, maybe 30 buildings or 50 buildings. But when it comes to residential, we are looking at 20,000 users or 25,000 users. And the load, to be honest, is actually smaller than commercial building. So the entire operating regime and the entire design is we need to cater for a different kind of load demand and a different kind of setup. Some time ago, we saw pictures of Tenga Flat's alternative air conditioning system. Flat buyers weren't happy, apparently, even though the system is supposedly more sustainable and efficient because, wait for it, the trunking which conceals the cooling system's pipes were ugly. I kid you not. SP Group, which is managing the installation, management and maintenance of the cooling system, told media outlets that the photos were unauthorized. And the whole thing may not look like that when all's said and done. Hey, they're not the only ones saying this. Here's Professor Lee Posing again from ESI. Not the pretty side. <laughs> but I think there's a lesson learned. So moving forward, certainly I think well, we need to start the process as early as possible. After thought, it's really not part of the holistic plan. It's exactly go back to my point about starting the process early because if I'm not wrong, this issue came about, right? Because HDV finished the design, then SV Group came in to sort of uh, look into integrating their district cooling piping system into the individual units. That's where the issues arise, right? If I suppose it's more of a co-design, right? Whereby, for example, operators like SP Group came in much earlier. Potentially, I think at least some of this issue could have been addressed very early on. The professor makes a good point. Maybe everyone should be in on the decision-making. No one will want the flats if they keep coming out ugly and all this effort would have gone to waste, no? Getting all stakeholders in on the conversation, Right. I think what's really important when designing those mechanisms is to have in mind the end goal, the target to design efficient mechanisms and to give visibility to businesses. It's incredible what the industry, what the businesses can do when they have long-term visibility, they can innovate and they can plan for the future. We need all strength on board to fight these challenges, businesses, universities, academia, individuals, and government. At NG, we strongly believe in this partnership model, in building partnerships, bringing all these people together to unlock innovation, to unlock the solutions of today, of tomorrow, and to bring the capabilities that we need for this sustainable challenge. One of the examples, we have a partnership with the Singapore Institute of Technology, SIT, to develop a district cooling center of expertise. So we are developing the district cooling infrastructure for the new campus of SIT. And we have this district cooling center of excellence in Singapore with them. The aim of this center of excellence is really to drive innovation in a cooling solution across the region. NG on our side, we will contribute technical expertise, business expertise in cooling, in decarbonation, in energy systems. And SIT will bring applied learnings and their research capabilities to go together and implement innovation joint applied research on district cooling and on cooling, 
It will also provide the environment and the infrastructure for the students to have work opportunities, internship opportunities, and to learn hands-on. We will create the skilled workforce that we need to operate the systems and to design the systems that we need to stay cool in Singapore. We deeply believe in this partnership model because we need all the capabilities that we all have to offer if we want to reach this goal of becoming carbon neutral in 2050. Sebastian Walker is Head of Business Development, Mixed Use and Real Estate at NG Southeast Asia. They specialize in cooling as a service, or CAAS, where they bear the burden of expensive equipment, installation and maintenance of cooling systems, while their clients just enjoy guaranteed performance, availability and quality of the cool, I suppose. So cooling today is a matter of public health. Singapore is implementing a health advisory based on heat. On top of that, today we need to move to carbon neutrality. And if we keep implementing business as usual, uh, the standalone solutions, which are not necessarily efficient, will never meet our targets. And cooling as a service or district cooling is one of the solutions to bring sustainability, to reduce the energy consumption and to reduce, in the end, the carbon emissions. But indeed, there are some challenges to the implementation. The first challenge is a lack of awareness. A lot of businesses and leaders are accustomed by the way of doing things internally, traditionally, and they don't really know these new models that will bring them energy efficiency. So what we do is uh, we work closely with those business leaders to explain them the model and to make them understand the value they can get from those models. But cooling as a service and district cooling suffers a bit from the past models. In the beginning, it was not that flexible, but it has evolved a lot with the help of the government and with the efforts put in by the industry. And today we are totally able to provide flexible models, equipment that will adapt to the client needs and provide them the best value over the long term. One other challenge that we're facing with those models is the perception that it requires a lot of upfront investment. But today, we are able to take this investment off our clients. They simply need to turn to service providers that have the capability, that are able to shoulder the cost upfront for them and then to guarantee over the long term the quality availability of the service and to repay their investment through the energy savings that are generated. Maybe the last challenge that we can face with this model, and especially with district cooling, is when we are implementing district cooling on new developments, for example, it's quite easy because everybody is planning the infrastructure and their buildings at the same time. But today we need to implement those solutions on the existing environment, on existing buildings, and that requires to align all stakeholders. So it's not necessarily easy, but today it's necessary, it's possible. That's all well and good in an ideal world, but we're clearly not in an ideal world. Individuals can employ a combination of passive cooling strategies to stay comfortable without breaking the bank. For example, they can use fans to promote air circulation and if possible, try to take advantage of natural ventilation by opening windows in a way that promotes cross-ventilation. The use of uh, shades, blinds, or curtains to block the sun during the hottest part of the day, as well as to wear light-colored clothing can actually help to enhance the thermal comfort. 
for businesses and governments, they can invest in energy efficient appliances, promote the teleworking to reduce energy demand in office buildings and encourage or enforce energy savings practices. So according to Professor Lee, give all the money we used for our electricity bills to get dry fitware and plants. Not really psyched about that, although I do like the idea of teleworking being encouraged. Have I told you it's hot in our studios, thanks to the need to be soundproofed? The heat in Singapore is a bit of a challenge for me. I think for individuals, there are really simple actions that we can implement. Opening the door to have natural airflow to cool the apartments and use passive cooling. It's also important to question ourselves on the level of comfort that we want. And maybe we can turn up a bit the thermostat. I mean, when we go to the movie and we have to take our sweater, well, I deeply believe that we could accept movie theaters that are not cool at 16 degrees, but maybe 20, 21, 22. And more generally, I think uh, as individuals, we also have a strong capacity to influence the larger scale, influence the system by the decision we take in our everyday lives. For example, when you choose your apartment, when you choose the buildings where you're going to live, maybe choose a building that is built sustainably that will decrease the need that you have for air conditioning. When you choose a car, go for an electric vehicle. All these small decisions have an impact on society and push it towards a more sustainable society, which is the way we have to fight the climate crisis and in the end, this everyday heat crisis. Wow. So the stand up and be counted approach. I fear I may just perspire more. (sighs) I think I shall resign myself to the fact that this shall be my default position for the next few weeks, especially since Met Service says temperatures could reach 35 degrees Celsius for parts of this month. Great. The window is open. I've turned the air conditioner off. And my cat and I shall lie here on the tile floor of my HDB flat <coughs> under the ceiling fan and wait for this heat wave to pass. Oh, and don't forget to stay hydrated. Join us next month for another Lens on Singapore. Current affairs, societal issues and government policies explore through the lens of how it impacts us here in Singapore. For The Business Times, I'm Howie Lim. This is a podcast by The Business Times. Find more BT podcasts at businesstimes.com.sg slash podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.